Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. In uh, 2009, I, uh, I wrote a book. I don't know if, if many of you knew that. I wrote a book. It was kind of a lifelong, it was like a bucket list kind of thing for me. Um, I, I've been an avid reader since prior to going to kindergarten. I, I was one of those, I learned how to read before I went into school. And man, I, I would read anything I could get my hands on. Um, I tell this story a lot, but my mom's brother, her oldest brother, avid reader, avid writer, um, for my first birthday, so keep in mind that means I was turning one, got me two books for my first birthday. One was the autobiography of John F. Kennedy, and one was a historical narrative of Martin Luther King Jr. at one, all right? So he evidently felt like, and my mom echoed that same sentiment, that I needed to be a reader. And so as a reader, I became a writer, and I loved writing things. And I remember in school, I was really excited whenever I was given some type of writing project because I loved to write things. I loved to be able to find a way to pick the best concoction of words and putting them together to draw out the right amount of emotion and to tell a compelling story. I loved it. Um, As I've gotten older and and into adulthood, I've loved continuing to write. Um, I write on a blog, a couple of different blogs. I I, I write as often as I can. Um, And so in 2009, I finally finished a project I had been working on for a while, and, and it was self-published. It wasn't through any kind of big publishing deal or whatever. And so we printed this, and here's what I learned. I'm a better writer than I am a salesperson, so I've still got a couple hundred copies of that book. If you're interested today, I can make you a pretty sweet deal. But, um, but I love writing, and I'm, I'm in the midst of writing another project right now because I love putting, again, those words together on the page and trying to help tell a story or to write something that I believe will help impact people's lives. And here's what I found out. I went back this week as I was studying and found out that in that book, which was not a very long book, it was relatively short compared to other books that I've read or read regularly, um, it had in it two, uh, I'm sorry, 21,952 words. 21,952 words. I did not count all of them by hand. I have a a software there, Word, that tells me at the bottom how many words are contained in the section that I had highlighted there in the book. And so 21,952 words. Now, here's what I know as the project has ended now five, six, seven years ago. I know that in order to get to the final 21,952 words, I probably wrote about 35,000 or 40,000 words. Because I wrote a bunch of words, and then I would edit them, and then I would write some more, and then I would tweak it, and then I would edit it, and I'd sleep on it, and then I'd come back, and I'd edit it some more, and then I'd, I'd eat on it, and then I'd come back, and I would edit it some more, and, and I remember I would print it out, and I would go, and I'd fly on an airplane, and I'd be sitting there, and I'd be highlighting things and writing notes, and I'd come back, and I'd type the edits that I'd made, or I'd be riding in a car, and I'd have Corey drive, and I'd be making notes, or I'd have my laptop out, and I probably wrote, again, probably somewhere around 35,000 words to edit it down or to get the right uh, summary there of those 21,952 words, because here's what I know. Words are important. I think we would all say that. We would all realize that at some point. Words are important. Last night, I was sitting in my bedroom, and my wife walked into the bedroom, and she said about the little girl that ran across the front just a few minutes ago when the kids were walking out, our five-year-old daughter She walked in. She had been helping Kenley with a bunch of little projects, and they had played baby dolls, and they had had a tea party, and they had been doing all 
excuse me, all kinds of things. And she said as she walked in, kind of with this exasperated, ah, she said, man, that little girl has a lot of words to use today. Right? Has any of you ever said that about your kids or maybe about your spouse? Don't, don't say, raise your hand there because you'll get in trouble, I'm sure. Um, when I was growing up, I remember my mom saying, and there are a ton of different studies, so some of these numbers may be different than something you've read or heard, but here's what my mom taught me when I was growing up. I was one of two sons, and my dad obviously lived at home with us, and so um, my mom was the only female in the house there for most of my childhood. And so it was my mom, my dad, and me and my brother. And so you had three guys in the house, and you had my mom. And my mom would always say, I have more words to use up in a given day than the three of you do combined. Because what would happen is I would get into the car, and mom would say, how was your day today at school? And I'd be like, fine. She'd be like, well, what did you do? I don't know. How, how do you not know? Like, what did you do in school today? Math? I mean, like, I didn't have the words to say what she wanted me to get in the car like my five-year-old little girl does now and tell her every detail of everything that happened that day and what I felt about it and what I thought about it. I can ask any of our three sons, what'd you do today? And they'll go, nothing. Well, they did something, right? But if I were to ask my five-year-old daughter, you know what she would say? She would say, well, I got up, and I put my shoes on, and my shoes matched my pants, and my pants matched my shirt, and that made me feel pretty, and then I did this, and then I got my baby doll, and I put a bow in her hair to match my bow, and I, because girls just have more words, I think. Now, that may not be true in your house. Maybe the guy in your house or the guys in your house have more words to use up. My mom said it was something about like this. Every guy has somewhere between eight and 10,000 words a day that he uses up, and every woman has somewhere around 800,000 words that she uses up a day. I don't know if that's true or not. I think that's generalities or estimation. But, man, what we know is that words are important. Words are very, very important. So no matter if you've written a book or no matter if you talk the most in your house or you don't talk the most in your house, what we know is that words are important. So today as we continue in this series that we've been on for the last four or five weeks called Things We Wish Jesus Didn't Say. You know, there's a lot of things that he said, a lot of words that are recorded in the Bible. And there are some of those words that are a little more difficult for us to receive, for us to hear, than other words. And so today we're going to talk about the power of words. If you've got a Bible, I want you to flip with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew is the first of four books that records most of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ when he was on the earth. And so we're going to look at some words of Jesus talking about the words that you and I use in this series called Things We Wish Jesus Didn't Say. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. If you don't have a Bible or a device to follow along, most of the scriptures today will be on the screens today. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 says this, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. I'm going to read that one one more time while you choke back whatever it is that you're feeling now based on what I just read. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Has anybody said any empty words yet today? Like it's still pretty early. It's not even 10 o'clock yet. Empty words. It says that every one of us will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word that is spoken. Now, the day of judgment is this day that is to come. What we believe is that at the end of our life here on earth, we believe 
depending on how you kind of believe the end times or you believe the, the stories of Revelation, we believe that there is a day in our future where we will stand before a holy and righteous God and we who on our own efforts are unrighteous and unholy will stand before him and be judged. Now we believe, according to Scripture, that while we can't on our own efforts and good behavior attain righteousness ourselves and be holy enough or be good enough by doing enough good things, we believe that we can receive what we prayed earlier, this free gift of salvation, and we can receive righteousness from God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that when we stand before him, we can be counted righteous before this holy and righteous God. But as a part of that day of judgment, it says here in Matthew 12, Jesus talking, that we will give account for every empty word that we have spoken. Now, here's, here's what worries me. I'm not sure that there's enough time in eternity as I stand there for me to go through all of the empty words that I have spoken because that's a lot of words. I have spoken a lot of empty words in my life. And so I worry about what this might mean. When we're reading the Bible, a lot of times we could jump to any individual verse and we could pull it out and we could read it individually, separate from every other thing in Scripture and separate from every other thing in life. And we could almost, hang with me for a moment, we could almost make it say what we want it to say. We could also almost make it make us feel any way that we want it to make us feel, or we could use it against other people to make them feel how we want them to feel. So if I were just to read this individual verse, I might think, man, I am in trouble because I say a lot of empty words. I've said a lot of empty words, and I'm sure you have too. And so I would feel like, man, every single thing that comes out of my mouth, I'm going to be held accountable for that, and I'm going to be judged by that. And man, how is that even possible? And where does Jesus come into this in my life? And all those kind of things. So the best way for us to understand Scripture and to understand specific verses of Scripture is to pull in some of the other context of that passage of Scripture. And the best way that we can pull context is by going to the surrounding verses to see what's being talked about, who's talking, who they're talking to, what's going on in the story, what's happening there, what, what would they be addressing? Is it a larger philosophical type of principle or is it something very specific that's being addressed to a specific topic in that moment? And so in Matthew chapter 12, we have Jesus talking here and he, in a larger piece of text here, is talking about several different things related to the people that are listening to him speak. And he's talking to them about their heart, and he's talking to them about their life, and he's talking to them about righteousness, and he's talking to them about good and evil. And so what I want us to do is I want us to drop back. I want us to zoom out from that one verse we just read, and I want us to read about four or five verses right around that text so that we can understand with a little greater clarity what it is that Jesus is saying and how this applies to us. So continuing there in Matthew 12, but dropping back to verse 33, I want us to read 33 through 37. This is what it says, beginning in Matthew 12, 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted... And by your words, you will be condemned. Now, beyond the verse that we already read, when I read this, it doesn't really help me to feel much better. 
it doesn't really help me to think that I am in the clear here. But I want us to see a couple of principles that I think are very important. It said that a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. We're going to come back to that. It also said that a tree is recognized by its fruit. Now, if you've attended here for any length of time, every time that I attempt to use any type of nature illustration or story, I tell on myself because I I don't really have a green thumb at all. Anything that was a green thumb eventually died and now it's just not green anymore because I am not a gardener. I'm not a nature type person. Again, everything I've ever tried to plant died. I moved into a house and the bush died. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't do anything there I guess maybe that was the problem. I guess I was supposed to do something. I just don't have a green thumb. But it's interesting to me that throughout the gospel account, there is so much about this type of narrative. There's so much of these illustrations and these stories where he's referring to trees and he's referring to fruit and he's referring to plants and he's referring to fields and he's all those things that Jesus loved to point to. Now, I think that's important because he was talking to a specific group of people that would have understood that context. They would have understood farming. They would have understood uh, planting seed and reaping a harvest. They would have understood those things. So when he's talking about the kingdom of God and he relates it to those type of principles, that wouldn't have been a stretch for them. It's a little bit of a stretch for me. I wish he would have used sports illustrations and parables to help me understand the kingdom of God, but he chose not to do that. And so I've got to dig into pun intended, the field here that he's talking about. I got to dig into the tree. I got to dig into the fruit a little bit to see what it is that I can learn about this principle. So he says that a tree is recognized by its fruit. Here's what I've been told. I don't know this to be true. You could ask other people in the room. You can't plant an apple seed and get an orange. Can I get an amen from anybody that knows that's true? Okay, thank you. So I understand that to mean that whatever it is that I put into the ground is what I can expect to take out of the ground. And so this idea that Jesus is helping us to understand is that if you have a good tree, and good could represent any type of fruit that you're talking about, but if you have a good tree, you put it into the ground, you're going to reap good fruit from that tree. If you have a bad tree that you plant into the ground, you're going to reap a bad tree fruit from that tree. And so he's helping us to understand that whatever trees are good produce good fruit. Whatever trees are bad produce bad fruit. And then he says that a tree is recognized by its fruit. That's really important. We'll come back to that in just a moment. And then he connects the dots between the fruit and the trees back to us and our hearts and our words. When he says to us that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, and he says that our words will acquit us or they will condemn us. So imagine, if you will, that I am a tree, right? This is not a poem. Everybody hang with me for a second. I'm a tree. So what this passage tells me is that the fruit that is produced with my life is not necessarily about the fruit. It is actually helping you to understand what's going on on the inside of the tree, What is the nature of the tree? What is the nature of what has been planted? What are the seeds that have gone into the ground to produce this type of fruit? And so this condemning or acquitting of us by our words or this idea that we will be held account for every single empty word is actually about our words being the fruit of our lives and it being a reflection of what's going on on the inside of our lives. And so what that means to me is it's not necessarily, it's not specifically about every single empty word. It's about the idea that those words are empty. It's the idea that those words aren't full of life. They are not full of something that represents who we are on the inside. And so it's not so much about the words. It is a reflection of what's going on on the inside of us. So how do we use our words? 
then how important are the words that we actually use to speak with our mouths out into the world and to other people around us? Let's look at a couple of other passages of Scripture that reference that. Proverbs 18.21 says this. It says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. There's that image of fruit again. Again, it kind of shows up all throughout Scripture, this idea that there's something about the fruit of our lives that represents something much larger. And here in this passage in Proverbs, we see that the tongue, which is representative of our words, it's representative of our mouths, the things that we say. It says that the tongue has the power of life and death. Now, this is twofold. You ever been around anybody that they're just like the most affirming person you could imagine? Like you could do something so small, so inconsequential, like it doesn't even seem like it's a big deal, and they make you think you have saved the world. Right? You ever been? I love people like that. They make me feel good about myself. Like I'm just walking, and they're like, oh my goodness. You just, you're just a positive person. You're just an exciting person. I just want to be around you. Denise is one of those people. Denise walks up to me, and she's like, I just love you. I'm like, I don't even love myself today. That is so great that you love me today. I don't even love me today. Right? There are other people. You walk up, and you tell me, and I think you're lying, okay? I'll walk out, and you'll be like, that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard. And I'll be like, you are a liar. And you're like, no, no, no. The Lord used that to speak into my life. I'm like, this is so affirming. And so, like, it helps me. And I'm not just talking about me. You, you have people in your life, coworkers and friends and family members that walk up to you and say things to you. And it's affirming. It's, it's positive. It's just like life-giving. It just breathes life into you, right? You ever met anybody that's the exact opposite of that? Like, as soon as they open their mouth, it just sucks all the life right out of you. You're just like, man, I, you, you're walking through the grocery store, and you see them, and you're just like, oh, I'm going this way, right? None of you have ever done that. I've never done that either. I've heard of people that have done that, though, right? You're like, oh, I'm going down the bean aisle. Don't even need beans, but I'm going down the bean aisle. Like, you're ducking down. You're like, I'm looking at diapers now. Like, you don't even need diapers, you just start talking to people that work. Like, you're just trying to avoid people because you know they just, they, death is in the tongue for them. They're so negative. Nothing's positive. You walk outside, it's a beautiful day. You're like, man, can you, it is beautiful. And they're like, yep, but it's going to rain on Tuesday. Like, they just, <laughs> they just suck the life right out of you. I mean, there are people like that, and I avoid them like the plague. I mean, I just... Because they just, you, just, you just feel like, man, it just, I walk away and I, I feel depressed and I feel down. And I, right? Because in the power of the tongue is life and death. But it's not just about what we say. Again, remember that our words are actually a reflection of our heart. It's actually a reflection of what's on the inside of us. So actually what it's saying is that the tongue, our words, should be about life if we are a believer in Jesus Christ if he is the Lord and Savior of our life, because we should be with our words reflecting the hope that we have received. We should be able to walk outside when it's raining and be like, but the sun's going to shine on Tuesday, right? I'm not talking about being fake. I'm saying that with our words, we should be reflecting the hope and the joy that we have in our hearts, in our lives, in the power of the tongue is life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Here's what I believe. I believe that people will flock to you if you are speaking positively, speaking life, speaking joyful things, because I believe that the world is craving those types of people. You want to have influence on your job? Be positive, right? You want to have influence in your neighborhood? Speak life over people. 
This is not a feel-good message. This is the idea that I can use what God has given to me to be an instrument of hope and life and joy to a world that is sorely lacking those things. Here's what Ephesians chapter 4 says. Because instead of speaking life, so often we do speak death. This is what Ephesians 4 says to us, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Unwholesome talk. You have these two options. You can speak life. You can pour into people. You can speak things into them that build them up, that grow them, that encourage them. Or you can speak those things that are unwholesome and negative and death kind of words and into their life and into the the, the situations of their life. And you can depress people and you can push people down or you can choose to be one of those life givers because we have that choice. When Paul here in Ephesians is writing about this unwholesome talk, it's really a nasty type of Greek word. It is a rotten word. It is a foul word. It gives the imagery again of fruit that has sat out and spoiled and gone bad and is beginning to rot the things around it. And this is what he's saying here. Don't let anything that comes out of your mouth be rotted, be foul. Like, just start to affect everything around it so that it also begins to rot and become foul. And everything starts to stink because of the words that we speak out of our mouths. So you and I have this choice to speak life or to speak death. But it's not really, remember, about the words that we choose. Because here's, here's what my kids do. My kids, when I tell them they're going to the dentist, you know what they do? They brush their teeth really hard the morning they're going to the dentist. It doesn't matter how, how good they've done in between visits, they think that they can clean up all the dental mistakes in that one brushing right before they go into the dentist office. And I tell them all the time, he's going to know. Right? He's, he's going to know you hadn't been flossing. It doesn't matter how much you make your gums bleed now. Like, he's going to know. And that's funny, but that's what we do. We kind of assume that we, before we come to God, we got to clean ourselves up before we come to him, the guy whose job it is to clean us up. Right? We assume that if we're talking about our words today, that what we should do is clean up our words we've got bad habits, we should stop our bad habits. But I think this passage in Romans helps to tie together all of the things that we've discussed today about how the fruit of our lives and the words out of our mouths are actually that reflection of our heart. This is what it says in Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 8. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Verse 13 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love this passage here in Romans 10 because what it shows me is that there are two things at work in my life. My heart and my mouth. My heart and my tongue. And I think in this instance, my mouth could actually be reflective of every external thing. Because my heart is something you can't see. My heart is not something that you can see and you don't know. And and by heart here, we're talking about soul. We're talking about motives. We're talking about intent. We're talking about that inner being. And you can't see that. 
All you can see is the stuff on the outside. And so just for a moment, let's go away from our words and let's just go to every external action that I do with my body, with my life. What he's saying here is if you believe in your heart, you're saved. You can, just, you can be justified. But there's also something about my actions, about my words, about my lifestyle, about the fruit that declares that decision of my heart. And I think so often what we try to do when we get in moments like this or other moments where we might feel challenged or even convicted, which is kind of a, a church word, and I don't mean like in a court of law, but where we would feel like we are guilty, we go, okay, well, I, I'm going to start talking better. I'm going to start living better. I'm going to start making better decisions. I'm going to start doing better things. We're trying to fix what's on the outside. We're scrubbing our teeth really, really hard before we come to the one who wants to clean us up. And so today what I would say to you is it's not about the words that you say or the things that you do with your life as much as it is what's going on in your heart. Are you a good tree or a bad tree? Don't even worry about the fruit yet. Don't worry if you're producing good fruit or bad fruit. I think it's easy for you to know if you're a good tree or bad tree by the fruit that you produce, but don't worry about the fruit for just a second. Are you a good tree or a bad tree? Are you a good person or a bad person? Not because you're good enough, not because you've done enough good things. Are you the kind of person who has received the work of God in your heart? Do you believe and are justified? Not just believe he exists out there somewhere, but you believe who he said he was and what he said he could do for you. That you can't be good enough on your own that you can't do enough on your own. And so he would send Jesus to come and to die on your behalf. Do you believe that? Do you receive that? If so, what happens is there's something that changes in my heart. This is not about praying a one-time sinner's prayer. This is about living a life that is a reflection of the work of God in my heart. And so he says here that we can speak the word. We can know that the word is near to us. It's in our mouth and it's in our heart. Now, what is the word? John 1, 1, which is not going to be on the screen, says this. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Everywhere you see that, when you read that in John 1 and uh, John 1, 1 and 2, you see that word is capitalized. It's not like the 21,952 words I wrote in the book. It is the word, capital W, person word. It is Jesus who was with God in the beginning. He was with God when he created the world, and he is with God now. He came to the earth. The, the message translation or paraphrase says that he put on flesh and moved into our neighborhood this idea that he became mankind. He became humanity. And when he became humanity, he lived and he suffered and he was tempted in every way that we are tempted according to Scripture so that he can relate to what you're going through and what you have gone through and what you will go through so that you can have relationship with him. And then he went to the cross. And on the cross, he was brutally beaten and he was put to death. And as he hung there on that cross, he was being the necessary sacrifice for you and I when we fall short. It happens. You're going to say empty words. You're going to do empty things. You're not going to get it right all the time. 
and what I believe when I read the scriptures is that there will come a day when I will stand before God who is holy and blameless. He is righteous and he is just. And he must punish all sinfulness. And when he looks at me, he's going to find someone who is incredibly sinful. Who's time and time again messed it up, dropped the ball, said empty things, done empty things, lived a life apart from him. And just before he pronounces judgment on me, I believe that Jesus steps in and says, Nope, this was one of the ones that I died for. This is one of the ones that I went to the cross to save. I think that's probably true for many of you in this room. I know it's not true for everybody in this room, and we're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to accept that free gift of salvation should you choose to do so. But here's the point today. Am I the kind of person who would allow Jesus Christ to die on my behalf, save my soul, change my heart, and yet the outside of me does not reflect that? The fruit of my life shows no evidence of the seeds that have been planted in my heart because of the work of Jesus Christ. So let's just go back to our words for a moment. I've used this illustration before, but let's imagine that all day long you walked around with your phone and you had your voice recorder on and it recorded everything that you said. Not everything you thought, those can still be private to you, just everything you said. Everything you said in a whisper, everything you said in a shout, every single word you said. At the end of the day, just before you closed your eyes, you saved the file and you emailed it to me. And I took it and I met a stranger here in the community. And I took that file and I sent it to their phone or sent it over to their computer. And then they, I said, hey, I just want you to listen to this tomorrow. And so they sat down at their computer and they listened for 24 hours or maybe 18 hours, whatever you're awake. And they listened to every word that you said. They didn't have the benefit of seeing body language. They didn't have the benefit of knowing your heart and your motives and your intentions. They didn't know what you were thinking. All they had to go on was your words. At the end of that day, after they've listened to everything that came out of your mouth, if I sat back down with them for breakfast, and I said, now tell me about this person, what would they say about you? What would they say about you? What would they say about me? Would they say, man, that guy's a good tree. <laughs> No, he's a bad tree. Would they say, yeah, I don't have any doubt that this is a follower of Jesus Christ. Because, man, all day long, they just spoke life into people. Or I would say, yeah, they go to my church. And they would say, what? That, that person goes to church? That, that person's a Christian? What? I, I never would have known that from listening to the way that they talk. It wasn't because of the specific words that they spoke. It was because, man, they just spoke death all day. They don't speak like they have hope. They don't, they don't speak like they have any joy in their life. They don't speak like they have anything that's connected to a larger purpose and desire in life. If all somebody had to go on was your words, what do your words say about you? 
Words are important. What do your words say about you? Because remember, words are just fruit. Words are just those external things. When people can't see the inner things, all they can go on is what you put out. What do your words say about you? Man, this series is called Things We Wish Jesus Didn't Say and I Wish He Didn't Say This. And yet here I am confronted with the idea that the words that I choose to open my mouth and speak are actually the fruit and reflection of my heart. Out of the overflow of my heart, the mouth speaks. What do my words say about my heart and the condition of my heart, the condition of my soul? And so today, before we leave, before we walk out into that lobby and we get in our cars and we go to lunch, I encourage you, don't don't focus on your words today. Focus on your heart. Search your heart and say, God, what is it about my heart that's actually causing me to speak this way? What's causing me to speak death more than I speak life? What's causing me to speak hopelessness more than I speak hope? What is it about my heart that's causing these words to come out of my mouth? And God, would you deal with my heart so that other people see a change in the fruit of my life? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody looking around. All of us just kind of searching our own hearts and asking the Lord to do something in us. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, I know that I need Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. We've talked about it a couple times in this service. And I know that my words and the fruit of my life is not reflecting any kind of work of God in me because my heart is not connected to God today. If that's you and you want today to accept him by saying, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, I want him to take control of my life. Would you just lift your hand right where you're at and put it right back down? Thank you so much. Anybody else? And if you would say to me today, Jeremy, it's not a salvation issue with me necessarily. I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm in a relationship with God, but I don't believe that the fruit of my life is reflective of a heart that's connected to God. I don't think the words that I'm saying and the fruit of my life, the actions that I do on the outside reflect the work of God on the inside and I want to change that and I want God to capture my heart again and take the parts out of me that don't reflect him and I want him to do a work in me would you just lift your hand right where you're at and put it right back down thank you so much let's pray together God I thank you so much today for who you are and what you've done while we were yet sinners Christ died for us before we could be good enough do anything to earn your love and earn your acceptance, earn your grace, earn your mercy, you chose to love us through the person and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so today for the people that lifted their hands or maybe they responded in their hearts to you to say that they want you to be the Lord and Savior of their life, we pray today that as soon as they lifted their eyes towards you, figuratively or literally, God, we know that you respond to that. And so today we ask you to help them to receive this free gift of salvation and to trust you more as the Lord of their life. And God, we pray that you would do that work in their heart so that continually the fruit of their lives would reflect the work that you're doing. And God, for those of us that lifted our hands today to say that we desire you to do a work in our heart 
so that our fruit and our lives and our actions would reflect you in greater ways. It's not a salvation issue necessarily. It's just a cleaning up. It's just a a maintenance check today, God. Make sure that we're speaking life and not death, hope and not hopelessness. God, would you help us today to reflect you more and more? We thank you, God, for what you're doing in us, and we ask you to continue to help us to live Christ-centered lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.com.